Thank you, Jared, and welcome again to our worship service tonight. We appreciate so much you being here. We are looking tonight at 2 Timothy chapter 4, another of our key chapters that we have been looking at throughout the year. And it's hard to believe the year is almost gone. We're in the final, almost the final quarter of this year, and so we hope to finish strong. Thank you for being here. If you're visiting with us, as always, we invite you to come back. We're very grateful that you've chosen to come tonight if you're looking for a church home. We would encourage you to consider the work here. Very grateful for those who have joined hands with us and for those who are working in so many different areas. Uh, tonight, Brother Billy, I guess before services, we had our singing class, and we have two future song leaders here, Hudson and Hank. And both of those guys did a great job. And it's amazing to watch these young guys the ability they have and to know that the church will be in good hands one day. And so we look forward to that. I appreciate so much their parents and the encouragement that they give them. And we're very thankful for them. And we look forward to great things. Tonight as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be talking tonight about final words from a faithful soldier, a faithful servant. If you realize that your life was soon to end, would there be any specific things that you would want to relate to friends and family members? If you had the opportunity maybe to send a text, to write a note, to make a telephone call, to summon someone to your side, what would you say to them? You know, as you come to the conclusion of life. Things have a way of crystallizing. I think sometimes we take for granted the blessings of life when we come to the realization that our time is short. It makes us zero in on things that are really important in life. Paul in his second letter to Timothy. Timothy, as you well know, was his own son in the faith. And Paul is writing to his son in the faith, encouraging him in his work, and also reminding him of some things. I want to begin our study tonight by, first of all, noting the charge to a faithful servant. And then the second thing we're going to do is talk about the conquest of a faithful servant. In first, Second Timothy, rather, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, we have Paul's charge to Timothy, a faithful servant of Almighty God. Timothy had been blessed with a faithful family. He had been reared and schooled in Scripture. He had been taught what was right, and so when the Apostle Paul came along, Timothy was ripe for the gospel of Christ and obeyed that gospel. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, with regard to this charge, first, Paul addresses the message. And then secondly, he's going to talk about the messenger. So note, if you would, what he said. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. To understand the sobriety 
of preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. We preach in realization that one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. In verse 11 he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, what do we do? He said, we persuade men. Paul in writing to Timothy is saying, number one, you need to make sure that in your efforts you preach the Word and that you do so in view of eternity. Now listen to what he said. Verse 2, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So first and foremost, to understand the message that is to be proclaimed. Paul here in writing to Timothy states that gospel preaching consists of reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. We might sum it up like this. Number one, the gospel of Christ has convicting power, doesn't it? If we don't preach the gospel, then we rob the gospel of her power. When Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There are many, many times when individuals seek to preach the gospel, but rather than preaching the gospel, they blunt the message because rather than resorting to what God has said, they say other things. Nothing wrong with using illustrations, and talking about historical facts. There are a lot of things that we can weave in to our lesson. But ultimately, we need to preach and teach the Word of God. That's the only thing it's going to save. You remember, you remember, for example, in Hebrews chapter 4, when the writer there said, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Imagine if you can being present in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day, and you're hearing the gospel for the very first time, and the Apostle Peter, in his presentation of divine truth, in that record that we have as revealed by Luke, said to those people who were present on that occasion, and if we were there, the message would have been directed at us, and he said that they were guilty of putting to death God's only Son, that was an indictment, wasn't it? Matter of fact, so much so that they were convicted of sin. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when, when they heard these things, they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? But that was said after Luke said that those who heard the presentation of truth were pricked or cut to the heart. So they heard the truth of Almighty God. In our presentation of divine truth, the goal is to convict, to help people to understand where they stand in relationship to Almighty God. So number one, I think about the importance of the convicting power of God's Word, and then secondly, the convincing power. There are some people in the world today they have to be convinced of where they stand in light of what the Bible teaches. There are a lot of people in our world today 
that in their heart of hearts, they think, spiritually speaking, they're okay. There are many people that know nothing about Jesus. They have very little information regarding the divine Son of God. They have this idea that all roads lead to heaven, that it doesn't matter if you acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God or just another good man. So they have to be convinced that He is who He claimed to be, the Son of God. You remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only source of salvation. When the Apostle Peter responded to Jesus in John chapter 6, you remember Jesus had declared Himself to be the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven. And the Bible says that those who were present on that occasion said this is a hard saying, a difficult saying. Who can understand it? And John said from that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Jesus then asked this question, Will you also go away? Remember what Peter said? Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. To understand that without Jesus Christ, we will die in sin. The concept of sin has fallen on hard times in our world, hasn't it? People have made fun of the idea, the concept of sin, for so long that people just dismiss it. They discard the idea that they're a sinner. And yet Paul said, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The all there would be inclusive of humanity, wouldn't it? That's why when the Apostle Paul was on Mars Hill, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 17, he said, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because they're in sin. They need to know something about the divine Son of God. And so Paul here in his letter to Timothy, said, number one, you need to make sure that you preach and teach the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it has convicting power. Number two, because it has convincing power. Number three, because it challenges people. It has challenging power. Paul said, to exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. The word exhort here means to call to the side, to encourage are there times when people need to be encouraged? Could it be the case that some need to be encouraged to obey the gospel? Sure they do. For example, go back and look at Acts chapter 2. You remember Luke said, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, what do we do? We persuade men. There are some folks that need to be encouraged to obey the gospel. Some need to be encouraged to live faithfully for Almighty God. But again, the thrust of what Paul is saying here is we've got to preach the Word. So the message, but then the messenger. And the two go hand in hand. Now, ultimately, the most important thing is the message. But if the message is going to be proclaimed, you have to have a messenger, don't you? You remember Haggai? Haggai was one of God's great prophets in the Old Testament. Haggai was raised up by God to encourage the children of God to finish rebuilding the temple. They had returned from Babylonian captivity. They began rebuilding the temple, and then, for whatever reason, they became lethargic, and the temple sat for some 16, 17 years. 
Nothing was done. And Haggai said they were dwelling in their sealed houses while the temple of God was lying in waste. So Zagai was called up, Haggai was called upon to encourage the people to finish the project. But in chapter 1, verse 13, he said that he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. So as preachers and teachers, as people who are sharing the gospel, our goal is to simply be a messenger of a divine message. My goal is to share what the Bible teaches. As Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I don't have any authority to preach anything other than what the Bible teaches. As we say, book, chapter, and verse. That's it. So what about the messenger? Well, listen to what Paul said beginning in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The word sound here means healthy, as opposed to that which is unhealthy. Think about the word hygiene. Well, Paul here is saying the time is coming, and you remember last week in our study we talked about the apostasy that was on the horizon back in 1 Timothy chapter 4. when He said the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times men shall depart from the faith. Well, now he says the time's going to come when men will not endure sound doctrine, that is, sound teaching. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned to fables. So here are individuals that are putting pressure on those who propagate the gospel of Christ. They're trying to pressure those who preach and teach to compromise, to make concessions. Listen, when it comes to God's Word, God's Word is not up for negotiation. If you are a faithful preacher or teacher of the truth of Almighty God, then you can't compromise. You can't concede. You can't capitulate to what the world wants. Now, we preach the truth in love, sure. But nonetheless, we have to preach the truth. You remember over in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin council, they were interrogated, they'd healed a man in Jerusalem. And the Bible says, after having interrogated, interrogated them, after having done that, they commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that Peter and John responded by saying, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. So it's not about catering to the whims and wishes of people, but rather the goal is to be honest in our presentation of divine truth. Again, that seed principle. Jesus said, the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. When that seed is dropped in honest and good hearts, what does it do? It brings forth fruit. But there are some, according to Paul, that are going to turn their ears away from the truth. In other words, they don't want to hear it. Are there subjects that are taboo in some congregations? You better believe it. There are some congregations, they don't want anything said about, for example, marriage, divorce, remarriage. It's taboo. Don't say anything about the one church. Don't talk about the distinctiveness of the body of Jesus Christ. Again, we want to be kind and loving in our, pres in our presentation of the truth, but the fact of the matter is we have to preach and teach what people, what people need. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor. 
God's Word is preventative and prescriptive. If we will follow it preemptively, we can save ourselves a lot of heartache, can't we? But then the flip side is, if we get ourselves in trouble, spiritually speaking, then God's Word is the antidote to get us back where we need to be. So the Word of God is preventative and prescriptive. So there's a second thing. Well, note if you would verse 5 very quickly. Paul said, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. I think it's interesting that Paul in this context is talking about those who will heap to themselves teachers. They're looking for people that will accommodate them and what they want to hear. And what Paul, I think, is saying is, look, when you stand four square on the truth of Almighty God, you're going to ruffle feathers. It may be the case that you're going to face a lot of persecution. You remember Paul, in writing to the saints in Galatia, asked the question, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? There have been a lot of guys that have sought to preach and teach the truth of God, and they have literally been run out of town. But they kept preaching and teaching. And Paul here is saying, look, you do the work of an evangelist. You endure afflictions. You fulfill your ministry. You got a job to do? Do it. Now there's a second thought I want to share with you. First, the charge to a faithful servant. But then, secondly, the conquest of a faithful servant. Picking up in verse 6, Paul now talks about his imminent departure. Paul has been preaching and teaching for many years. He's been to a lot of different places. You can go back and read the book of Acts and journey with him as he makes his way from city to city and town to town preaching and teaching the gospel. And you can see the highs and the lows of his ministry. And you can ride along with him if you please. And you can get inside this great apostle's mind and see what he saw and hear what he heard. But now, in looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul first and foremost, talks about his departure, his perspective. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 6. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew that death was imminent. He is in a Roman prison. He would... Ultimately, according to historians, be beheaded by Nero Caesar. And Nero Caesar was an enemy of the cause of Christ. So Paul realized death was coming, his departure. You know, the last three weeks, in the last three weeks, we have had a funeral a week. I've taken part in three funerals in the last three weeks. Somebody's got to be next. I don't say that pessimistically, but that's just the fact of the matter, isn't it? It might be that one of us here tonight will be next up. What about your departure? You might be sitting there saying, not a chance. Oh yeah? There's always that probability and possibility. Paul here 
is looking death in the face. I know that we live in a world that wants to hear nothing about mortality. The fact of the matter is, the writer of Hebrews said, it is appointed unto man once to die. Doesn't matter if you're young, old, middle-aged, young people die, middle-aged people die, and old people die. It's just the world we live in. Some people die because of an accident. Some have a heart attack. Others have some type of disease. There are any number of ways a person could die. Paul would be beheaded. So what about you? How will you die? You will depart this world unless Jesus comes first. I said a minute ago, three funerals in three weeks. Whether we like it or not, somebody in this congregation will be next. Will it be you? What if you had died last night? What if last night you went to bed for the last time? Never to awaken to another day of life. If you died last night, could I ask this question? Where are you right now? Where are you? Are you in paradise? Are you in the bosom of Abraham? Are you in that place called Tartarus, the abode of the unrighteous? If you're not a child of God and in Christ, and you died last night, you're lost forever. I was thinking this afternoon about some people whose names are on our roll book. Some of these folks haven't been here in quite some time. I want to just be very upfront. There are some folks, you may be here tonight and you're one of those. There are some people who cannot afford to die. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you understand? They're not faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, and if they die in their condition, they will be lost forevermore. They need to understand that. There are some folks who are members of the Olive Branch Church of Christ who are unfaithful. They're not where they ought to be. And because of that, unless they repent, they will stand before an almighty God give an account of the deeds done in the body, and they will hear these words, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Will the Lord say that to you? To those who are watching our services by way of streaming, will the Lord say that to you? Oh, you're going to die, whether you like it or not. And the question is, when you die, where will you be? So number one, Paul talks about his departure. Life has a way of winding down, doesn't it? For Paul, life was winding down. So number one, he talks about his departure. Number two, his devotion. Listen to what he said in verse 7. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Paul here, saying, number one, that he was a fighter. I fought the good fight. You know, there are a lot of people that mis misunderstand the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. They underestimate the work of the devil. And yet Peter said the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There are a lot of folks that have allowed the devil to make an inroad in their lives. And the reason is because they don't understand we're involved in spiritual warfare. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on life eternal. In Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you might stand against the wiles, the schemes, the strategies of the devil. Ephesians 4, 27, neither give place to the devil. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul said, You endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We are soldiers in the army of Christ. Are you a faithful soldier? Are you fighting the good fight of faith? Are you going to lay hold on life eternal? Paul here said, number one, I have fought the good fight. Then secondly, he said, I have finished the race. Paul was about to, fin he was about to finish his course. He was soon to cross the finish line. But he would do so as a faithful member of the body of Christ. How do I know that? Listen to what he said. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Do you know what it means to be faithful to God? There are some characteristics borne out in Scripture about what it means to be faithful to God. Number one, Somebody who is faithful is submissive to the will of God. In other words, their life is in complete submission to the will of Almighty God. Look at the life of Paul. Paul wasn't a renegade. He wasn't a rebel. But rather, everything that Paul did was done in an effort to please the Lord. Remember what Jesus asked? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do not the things which I say? The Apostle Paul to the best of his ability, sought to submit his life to the will of God. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talked about buffeting his body, lest after having preached the gospel to others, he might become a castaway, might be rejected. So Paul was submissive. Number two, somebody who is faithful. They're submissive, and they are a servant. They have a servant mentality. When Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, he began by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a servant. Jesus came to do what? To serve humanity. Thank you to so many of you that are servants in the kingdom of God right here in this community. What a great example you set. You know, life's about serving the Lord day in, day out. Read Matthew 25. When Jesus talked about those who would stand before Him on the day of judgment, and, and He would say to them, you know what, I was hungry, what did you do? You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was sick and in prison, you visited me. Here are people that are going about their daily duties in life, but they're serving the Lord. So the Apostle Paul, he was submissive to God, he was a servant of God, and he was steadfast. 
in his life for God. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15, do you remember how he ended that chapter? He said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That was Paul. Paul was laboring for the cause of Christ right up to the end. You know, as a child of God, we can't afford to retire. You know, as a Christian, you never reach a point in time in your life where you say, you know what, I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and let others take up the slack. As long as we are members of the body of Christ, as long as we have breath, we're to be serving others. We're to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, it might be that there are limitations. Maybe we can't do what we once did, but we can still do something, can't we? There are folks that they can't get around like they used to, but they can still send a text, make a telephone call, send a card, try to teach somebody. Then, in looking at the steadfast character of Paul, in writing to the church, he said, always abounding in the work of the Lord, insomuch as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Will it be worth it? Yes, it will. You mean to tell me to live a faithful life for God, to serve Him day in, day out, to be submissive to His cause, it'll be worth it? Yes. You have no idea how much it'll be worth it. There's a second thing I want to share with you. We're going to come back and look at verse 8 in just a moment. We talk about his devotion to God, his devotion to Christ. Drop down and look at verse 10 if you would. Paul now talks about his disappointment in Christ. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Have there been people that have disappointed you in the past? I have often thought about in my life, I've thought about things that I have done, things that I've said, and the thought just keeps coming back to me. I disappointed the Lord. I let Him down. You know, when I'm not what I ought to be, then from my vantage point, that's a disappointment. I disappoint myself. Paul spent a lot of time with Demas. Matter of fact, in writing the prison epistles, he identified Demas as a fellow laborer some six years earlier. Here was a guy that stood shoulder to shoulder, was out laboring and working for the cause of Christ. I suspect that they prayed together, that they had the opportunity to study and to share the Word of God together. Here they are out laboring and working and serving the Lord. And now Paul said, you know what? He's gone AWOL. He's not faithful to God. There have been men who have occupied pulpits in days gone by. Good men. And for whatever reason, they got caught up in the world. And they're gone. All those years of service in vanity. I'm thinking right now of one of the finest preachers lived in the city of Memphis for many years, preached for a local congregation north of here. And sadly, his wife left him. I don't know what kind of problems they had, but she left him. And he 
went to pieces. Incredible ability. Had the opportunity to visit with him in, in the hospital one day. He had some heart problems. Talked to him, tried to encourage him. To my knowledge, he was never restored to the Lord. I hope and pray he was, but to my knowledge he wasn't. So Demas was a disappointment. And then note if you would his difficulties. Paul would say, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. I take it to mean that Alexander the coppersmith was a thorn in his side. You ever had somebody that has been that constant, perpetual thorn in your side? They have caused trouble in your life. They have stirred up trouble in your life. There, there are people in the church who have been disappointed by the actions of others. There are some in the church whose lives have been made difficult by the actions of others. And Paul here is writing about one such man, Alexander. I think it's noteworthy that Paul didn't try to settle the score, didn't try to exact vengeance on him, but rather he put it in the Lord's court, understanding that God would take care of Alexander in his own good time. And Paul wrote about not taking vengeance in Romans chapter 12. Let's go back now and look at verse 8. Our time's gone. The fourth, or rather, in verse 8, we have his destiny. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now drop down and look, if you would, at verse 16. In verse 16, Paul cites some brethren that failed to stand with him, and I would imagine that this was a disappointment to him as well. He said, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. You remember Jesus prior to the trial? What happened to the apostles? The record says they forsook him and fled. So here's the apostle Paul, some preliminary trial, needing people to stand with him as allies. And Paul said, At my first offense, no one stood with me. All men forsook me. And then he writes, May it not be charged against them. But look at verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now look at verse 18. Paul said, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. When Paul talks about being preserved for God's heavenly kingdom, he's not saying that things are going to reverse course and he's, his life's going to be spared. Paul knows he's going to die. But he also understands that in death he will gain a victory. Remember what he said? 
Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ, far better. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Paul here in writing to Timothy said, look, my time of departure, it's here. My bags are packed, I'm ready to go. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. And because of that, there's later for me a crown of righteousness. How many of us lack confidence in our salvation? We question whether or not we would be saved if something were to happen to us. You ever felt that way? You ever, in your own mind, said, what if? What if? I don't think God wants us to stand on insecure ground. I believe with all my heart God wants us to be confident. And when you read the writing of Paul here, Paul's not wavering. He's not wondering about, well, I hope I'm saved. I think I'm saved. But rather Paul is saying, look, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I want to, I want to, I want to die with my boots on, as they say. I hope and pray I never have to retire. But I want to so live so that when my time comes to an end here on planet Earth, I can say, you know what? I'm going home to be with God. I'm going to be in the presence of God forevermore. And I want to be confident and secure in my relationship to God. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said, we know that if this earthly house, this tent, this tabernacle of flesh be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Can you echo those words? Listen, if you are a child of God and you're doing your best to live for God day in and day out, you don't have to worry about anything. If you're living a steadfast life in the kingdom of God and something were to happen to you, do you know where you would be? Just like that, you'd be in paradise. The angels of God would bear your spirit, your soul, into the eternal realm. Wasn't it Solomon who said, when death comes, what happens to the body? It turns back to dust. Spirit, however, returns to God. God's the Father of our spirit. So, your life, will you live in such a way so that you will be victorious? I've said before about people that have stepped out into eternity, people that have lived for God and have left a great impression on the lives of others. I have said a life well lived. Will that be said about you? We all make mistakes. We all come up short from time to time, but to live the kind of life that leaves behind a legacy, a life well lived for God. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you have never been baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, you need to do that tonight. You do not need to take a chance on eternity. Because if you die, you will be without hope and without God forevermore. Don't let this hour pass 
you buy. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you would repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ, God will put you in the church. And if you're faithful until death, the promise is that crown of life. If you're here tonight and for whatever reason your life is not what it ought to be, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And listen, we are certain, as John wrote, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?